Hello? Hello. <laughs> okay, page 581, uh, Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest, God. Our God blesses us. May God bless us still, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Do sit down and turn back with me to page 581 to uh, Psalm 67. Now, it's abundantly clear to all of us who are here in the building that we're right in the midst of holiday season. And things are opening up uh, a bit more. And as they do that, I want to fire your imagination. Imagine for a moment that uh, expense is no concern of yours, and you are given the option to go and see anywhere in the world. Anywhere, anything that you can see you want to go to. Maybe, for some of you, it'd be something natural. Maybe you'd love to go and see the Grand Canyon. Maybe you'd love to go and see Niagara Falls. Maybe you'd love to go to Australia and see Uluru, Ayers Rock, and just stand before that awesome uh, natural rock. Maybe it's more human engineering is your cup of tea, and you want to go and you want to see the Statue of Liberty or the Empire State Building. Or maybe you want to go and see um, Christ the Redeemer who stands um, over Rio. Maybe you want to go and see the Sydney Opera House. Maybe there's some human-made thing that just really gets you going. Maybe you really set your goals high. You want to go and see the dark side of the moon. Or you want to go and see, I don't mean the Pink Floyd album, I mean the dark side of the moon. Or you want to go right down to the lowest point of the ocean and be where very few humans have ever gone before. See, being there, seeing something magnificent, whatever it is, it stirs up emotions within us. There's something deep going on, and we long to capture it. So we whip out our phones, whip out our cameras, we get the video camera out, and we try and capture everything that we can see so we can show it when we get home. We've been so captivated by what we've seen that we can't wait to get others involved as well to show them what we've seen. Now, let's be honest, nobody finds our photos as exciting as we do as they sit through and watch us on the 15th one of the Grand Canyon. Yeah, my parents have been there as I've done that. But sometimes, sometimes that moment comes when they see something in you and see something in your photos, and they're captured as well by the wonder, by the beauty of this place, and they think, I want to go. I want to be there. I want to stand where you stood and look out and see that glorious vista in front of you. Psalm 67 begins with these words. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, you have seen the face of God. Now, not properly, not in the way that Adam and Eve did, not as you will when the Lord Jesus returns and we see God fully, but you have experienced the shining face of God looking into your life. You've been fundamentally changed because of your encounter with God. And just as your photos that you long to share communicate something of that, enable you to pass on the excitement 
So the goal of the human life is to take that excitement, is to take the glory and the wonder of seeing the face of God and having his glory shine in your life and pass that on so that others can see what it is that gets you so excited. That the purpose of the blessing is to pass it on, is so that others would see the God who you have seen. See, in Psalm 67, we're listening in as an Israelite prays for God's people. And the heart of his prayer is God bless us so that others may see you. We might often pray God bless us and stick a full stop at the end. But he says God bless us so that others may see you. And what I hope we'll see this morning is that praying to the Lord To ask him to bless Headley Park Church is a good, a right, and a proper prayer. That we want him to show his favor to us. That he would be gracious to us. But that the purpose is always so that through that blessing, others will see God. And will come to know him as we do. So first we're going to see that the world, the nations, those who don't know God, they see him through the blessing of his people. Back to verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. See, the psalmist is praying that God would continue to act on an old, old prayer. Those of you who know your Bibles well will recognize these words given to Israel 500 years before, shown to us in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. See, Aaron and his sons were the priests. Those set aside to act as mediators between God and the people. And so they brought this blessing from the Lord that was to remind the people of the joy and the privilege that it was to be his people. That when the Lord is in the right place and the people are in their right place, there is this glorious union between the two. And this would have been a regular part of Israelite worship. Way after Aaron had died and it's his descendants and the tribes who later became as the priest, they would pray this prayer and bless the people in this way. And here the psalmist takes up the themes but modifies them. Would you notice the difference? See, back in Numbers, the priests were to bless the people. But here in Psalm 67... It's much more communal. The people are praying for the blessing for each other. For the you in number six, read us in Psalm 67 and verse one. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Rather than a small group of people acting as the priests, the people themselves had taken on this priestly duty. And this wasn't a surprise. This was a progression that always was supposed to happen. Back in Exodus 19, the Lord declares the position of Israel before him at the foot of Sinai. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the nation is the priesthood, mediating God's blessing to the world. What was the purpose of Israel? To be blessed by God and through that to be a blessing to the world itself. And what a blessing it is. See, Psalm 67, verse 1, it begins with God, begins with the all-powerful, the creator God, sovereign over the entire cosmos, the Holy One of Israel. May God, may God be gracious to us. There's a desire to know his grace, for him to show his favor upon his people, 
to enable the people to understand that they could know the great gods, that this God who made it all, he longs for relationship with you. And the verse ends with this beautiful image of the Lord's face shining, the shining face of the glorious creator God. It's a picture that speaks of life, of light, of presence, of intimacy, of relationship, the wonderful truth that God is living with his people. You can see his face because he is not distant. He is close. He is near. And there is power in this blessing because this is a description of how life is meant to be. This is how things are supposed to be. We were made for this closeness with the God who made us. And the psalmist knows that this prayer gives us a glimpse of how life is supposed to be. But it's because things are not like that now that this blessing is given. You see, the first two words of verse 2 show there's a purpose in this blessing. Verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that. There's a reason for this blessing. So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. See, because the relationship between God and his world is broken because of sin, life isn't how it should be. We don't see the shining face of God. We don't know his grace and his favor. We don't know that closeness and that relationship with him. But the psalmist wants us to see God at work and see him at work in amongst uh, his people. See him at work through the blessing of his people. You see, God's plan to fix the world was always based around his people. See, in Genesis 12, we read of God calling Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation, and saying these words in this huge promise to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all nations on earth will be blessed through you. See, God was saying that blessing for the whole world, the reversal of the curse that was seen because of the fall, because of humanity's sin, blessing to the world was going to come through Abraham's family, through the nation of Israel. That God had called this people for a purpose. He'd set them aside, not because they were the most numerous of people, not because they were the best of people, but he'd chosen them so that he could set his glory upon them and display to the world what it looked like to live with Yahweh in control. And so we see the purpose of God's call to Israel in Psalm 67 and verse 2. So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all the nations. Why did God bless Israel? So that the earth would know his ways. Why does God continue to bless his people? So that salvation will be known in the nations. It's why when Jesus Christ is introduced at the beginning of the book of Matthew, he is described as the son of Abraham. He was the one who would take these big promises of Genesis 12 and decisively fulfill them to declare that he was the one through whom all these blessings would be known, that he was the one who would take the blessing of God and bring it to the world, bring it to the nations. As the great high priest, he did the perfect job of standing as that mediator between God and humanity, of mediating God's blessing. And wonderfully, the New Testament tells us that those who have faith in Christ are themselves children of Abraham and are those through whom the world is blessed. How is the world to be blessed? Through God's people, through the church. 
as Jesus' disciple Peter says about Christians, remembering the words in Exodus 19, he says these words, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is the job of the church, the job of God's people, to be the royal priesthood, the holy nation. Now I'm a pastor, I'm not a priest. Individuals aren't priests anymore. But together, as God's people, we are a priesthood, declaring the goodness of God to the world. Where does the world go to see the glory of God? Yes, they can see his power and his divine nature in creation, but to see the glory of God, they look at the church. They look at God's people, those who know God's blessing. And it's why the blessing of verse 1 is so important. To see the people of God living under God's blessing reveals his salvation. It's a glimpse of how life is supposed to be. That when everything is aligned as it should, we begin to see a reset on the life of darkness and sin that is seen across our world. You see, we should long for the blessing of God. To see more of his shining face in our lives. There should be more of him vibrantly clear in our lives. But it should never be a selfish, inward-looking prayer. It should never be, God, bless me so that I'm a better Christian. Bless me so that I feel better. Bless me so that I feel closer to you. But the purpose is for the world to see and that salvation is known through all, to all. So the question is, what do others see about God in you? When someone looks at you, do they think that your God is attractive? Do they see the joy that living for God brings to you? Do they see a blessed life that points them to Christ? Now, don't misunderstand me. The life of blessing isn't one where everything goes right. The Bible is clear that Christians, they get ill, they grieve, they're poor, they're persecuted. Becky prayed for Christians living in Afghanistan. Their lives do not look blessed at the moment by any human standards. The life of blessing isn't an easy life, but it's one that places you at the heart of where you are supposed to be, in a relationship with the living God that covers everything with love and hope, living in the glow of that glorious, shining face. That is the place of blessing, and that's what the world needs to see, that living for Jesus, living under his blessing, is the most glorious of places to be. That's our role as a church is to display that blessing to those around us. So the world sees God through the blessing of his people, but also the blessing of his rule. We've seen already as we've been looking at the Psalms, that Hebrew poetry often puts something important between two things that say pretty much the same thing. And we see that really clearly in verses 3 to 5. Verse 3, May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. So the wording in verse 3 and verse 5 is identical. They say exactly the same thing. It's a call to praise God. And it begins with the desire that the peoples praise him. May the peoples praise you, God. Those from every part of the world united in praise of God. And the second part builds on that saying, all peoples 
calling every person on earth to praise God. No exclusions, no one standing on the outside, everybody coming together, every nation, tribe, tongue, and language coming together to praise the God who made them. And in this praise sandwich, verse 4 shows us the meaty filling. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. See, the praise of verse 3 and 5, this is not a, a grudging praise. This is not arms twisted up our back, you shall praise, oh, okay then, seeing as you're so, putting so much pressure on me. It's not that kind of praise at all. It's full of gladness. It's full of joy. But what is the heart of this praise? Why is there such joy amongst the nations? Verse 4, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. See, the picture in verse 1 was of the relational, intimate God. And this is of the ruler God, the God who is sovereign over all things. This word translated rule um, also means to judge. And he carries out that function over the peoples. But the heart of the praise here, the reason for the praise, is not simply that God rules, but it's how he does it. He rules with equity. Again, this word speaks of, of a level place of an uprightness, that whatever he does is right. Every decision, every thought, every action, every impulse that this ruler, that this judge has, is right. It is equitable. It is correct. It is supremely right. And through that, he is a trustworthy guide and guide the nations of the earth. He's able to lead all of the nations of the earth. You know, the heart of human rebellion against God is a rejection of his rule. It's a rejection of the truth that having God as king is a good thing. Having the, the, him there as the king is uh, good news. Whether it's wanting someone or something else to rule, or wanting no one and nothing else to rule, we put something or someone in place of God. We reject the rule, and the guidance of God. See, the cry of our culture is that we should be free to make whatever decisions that we want. We should be free of rule. We should be free of authority. And rulers should stay out of our lives. At most, they should uh, make a pleasant place that means that we can make our own decisions in peace. Just let people be themselves. There's one ruler, and there's one authority in our lives, and that's us. The only person who gets to say anything about my life is me. And Jesus had something to say about that. And he expressed it in Matthew chapter 7. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. That whole idea of us being in charge of ourselves. Of us making our own decisions and living as if there is no God. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. See the path to life isn't one of no authority and no rule but of the right authority and the right rule, one who rules with equity and brings joy to those who delight to submit to him. This is good news. The psalmist looks at the rule of God and says, this is good, this is good news. And that's our job. That's our job too. See, we're to show the world that living under God's rule, that living under God's guidance is the best thing possible. That the view of the Christian life as restrictive and oppressive is so far from the truth as to be considered laughable. And I wonder, is that how you live? 
Is that your attitude to the way that God calls us to live under him? Is the fact that God is the sovereign king who rules all good news? Do you think that is a good thing? And is it obvious in your life? Because it is to the psalmist. See, every part of the world where we look and we say that's not fair, we can rest in the glorious truth that justice will be done. Every sin, from the tiniest to the most heinous, is punished, is dealt with. There is justice. There is a ruler who rules with equity. Every crime, every sin will be paid for. Under God's rule is a place of blessing. We don't want to be without rule. We don't want to be without authority. We want the right authority, and that is God's. See, for a long time, Christians have been really good at saying no. No, we don't do that. No, we don't agree with that. No, God doesn't like that. And those things might be true. But let's be those who say, this is the better way. This is why we want to live this way. This is the God who calls us to live this better way. This is the Savior who died so that we can live the better way. And these are the things that we should want to say yes to. And when we have to say no, we do it in the context of the God who rules with equity. Yes, there are boundaries. Yes, there are things that are wrong. But let's look at the God who causes his face to shine upon us and understand why the God who knows and wants what's best is saying the things that he's saying. It might be no, but here's why God knows best. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. So the world sees God's blessing through his people and his rule, and finally in this psalm, through his harvest. See, over the past few weeks, we've seen a number of these psalms connected to harvest. It was one of the central points of Hebrew praise throughout the year, was harvest, was the blessing of knowing that God had remembered his people. They'd acted again, and they had what they needed, that God had provided. Clear signs of God's blessing were an encouragement to the people, a spur to keep going, and a call to the rest of the world to understand who the God of Israel was. And as we come to verse 6, Harvest gets to mention again. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. See, as God's people looked around, they saw the crops had been brought in, they saw that the storehouses were full, and they knew that they'd been blessed by God. It was clear. There's the evidence that tells us that God has worked amongst us. The land had yielded its harvest, and that was a reason to be praised. And the psalmist immediately points to God as the provider. The land yields its harvest, God. It's because of him. But he adds the personal, the corporate, our God. It's not just that God is in his distance working out things and letting us get on with it. It's our God, the relational, the close God. He is there working in amongst us, blessing his people as he goes. He sees the harvest itself as the blessing, the sign of favor of God, and through that sees further purpose. Verse 7, may God bless us still, so that, it's there again, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. See, he looks back and he sees how the people have been blessed in the past. And he prays for that to continue. Lord, as you've blessed us in the past, continue to bless us still. But again, this isn't an inward-looking, selfish, self-focused prayer, but a missional, gospel-shaped prayer. 
The psalmist knows the promise to Abraham and sees the blessing of God's people, the reaping of the harvest, as a means by which the world sees who God is and understands more of the God of heaven, a way for the ends of the earth to get a right view of God's. When we point to God and say he did that, when we look at the blessings and say it's because of him, it takes the view of God and explodes it. You see, this is a prayer that the world would have a God-sized view of God. See, we're very good at human-sized views of God, that he's better than us, but only a little bit. He's just a bit bigger than we are. But a proper understanding of who God is and what he's done leads to a correct view of him and a correct view of ourselves. There's a longing here in the psalm that the world would see God as the psalmist does. See him as I do, with awe, with reverence and wonder. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Author Mike Reeves talks about the fear of God that his people should have in this way. It, the fear of God, is the overwhelmed devotion of children marveling at the kindness and righteousness and glory and complete magnificence of the Father. See, when those who don't know Christ, when they look at our church family, when they look at our church community, do they catch a glimpse of the overwhelmed, the complete magnificence of who God is? Is there an unsettling fear? That there is something far bigger, far more important than they have imagined is happening. Is there an insight into the glory of the God of heaven who blesses his people through his provision and through his presence? The God who draws people to himself, who reaps a harvest of souls, pouring his blessing upon them. See, we are the harvest. We are the evidence of God's blessing, that he is working amongst his people providing what we need the most, a renewed relationship with God. See, next month, God willing, church life will look the most like 2019 that it has for 18 months. It won't be the same, but the freedoms and the opportunities we will have will be greater than we've known for for too long. There are relationships that need to be restored because they've been on hold for the past uh, 18 months. There's a mission that needs to be re-energized as we go again more keenly and more prayerfully than we ever have before. There's a God who blesses people, who needs to be displayed so that the ends of the earth can see him and respond to him, so that they may fear him. The question is, are we ready? Are we ready for that? Are we ready for us to receive God's blessing so that we can go out to the ends of the earth? Do you see your role in the harvest gathering? under the role of the Lord of the harvest, doing all we can to grow each other's view of God so that we may see him as he truly is, not in the way that we have compressed him. So as we close, how do you pray for the church? How do you pray for our church community? Let's make this psalm our prayer, that we would know the infinite, the magnificent blessing of God that we would know his face shining upon us and that through it, Headley Park, South Bristol, Bristol itself, the nations would know that there is a God and relationship with him can be found through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. What a privilege it is to be the means by which God blesses the world 
Let's keep our eyes fixed on God and go again with the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Oh, great God, we thank you for the wonder of our salvation. We thank you that you have saved us. We thank you that through Christ you have set your love upon us. But we recognize the call on our lives too, that you've not called us and blessed us and set your love upon us just so that we can sit and enjoy it. But you've done it so that we may be a light to the nations. Father, I pray for us as individuals. I pray for us as a church family. that all that we do would have you on display. That it be clear to all uh, the joy of living under your blessing, of living under your rule. Thank you that you are the equitable God, that you are the righteous, the holy, uh, the loving God. And we praise you for your goodness to us. Father, we pray for the mission of the church. We commit these next few months to you and pray, Lord, that we would be able to put into place the plans that we have. And yet, thank you that nothing is foiling your plans and that you're working out your purposes for our good and for your glory. Father, we long for people to come to know Christ, for there to be a great harvest of souls. Father, show us how best we can be a blessing to those around us. And we pray that you would glorify yourself, glorify yourself by blessing us. Leading to others, seeing who you are. Let your kingdom come, we pray, O oh God. Amen.